You're now listening to the A Place of Refuge Productive Living Podcast with Bishop Barry D. Walker. A Place of Refuge vision is to cause people to be productive in every aspect of life according to God's Word. For more information, please stop by our website at www.aplaceofrefugechurch.org. Now, here's today's message already in progress. One of the wonderful things about Jesus, according to John, the 10th chapter and the 10th verse, the latter part, is that one of the purposes of his coming to earth was to give mankind life and that more abundantly. Also, when you consider the book of John, the 14th chapter, and the 6th verse, our Lord revealed himself as the way, the truth, and the life. When you consider those two verses, as well as a number of other passages in the Bible, I believe you would agree with me that Jesus is the life giver. Matter of fact, I wouldn't have life if it had not been for Jesus. I have a testimony that not only has he changed my natural life, but he has promised me eternal life and again he can do that because he is in truth the life giver now the antithesis of life is death and death is primarily fourfold first of all is literal or it is the demise of a person. Secondly, it's spiritual, or it is when a person rejects Christ or salvation on earth. Third, it is eternal, or it's when a person has said no to Jesus while living on earth and upon his or her demise, they lift up their eyes in hell and spend eternity there. Fourth, death is metaphorical in the sense that it represents ruin devastation or complete failure. When you consider the book of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter and the 26th verse, death is also called the last enemy. Paul in that particular verse says that death will be the last enemy that is destroyed. 
in one sense we're happy because we know that death does have an end. But on the other hand, we also have to reach the conclusion that death is still going to be working until that time comes to fruition. But when you consider death as an enemy, understand it is the enemy of the child of God, especially the life of the child of God. And when you think in terms of an enemy in general, an enemy is a nemesis of someone that intends to do you some harm. An enemy is an adversary of someone that desires to take you completely out. And I think most of us would agree that you can have spiritual enemies, you can have natural enemies, and you can have situations that are enemies. As a matter of fact, that there are some of us right now that can name some of our present enemies. I believe there's somebody in here tonight that is battling against some enemy. There, there is some foe that is trying to keep you from having the joy that the Lord desires you to have. There is some enemy that has been working on your mind trying to keep you from believing that God is going to do what he promised. If I'm talking about you, go ahead and wave your hand and just say he has my number tonight. And, and I tell you, there are some enemies that, that they are very forceful. There are some enemies that they will give you a battle. They will, they will give you some trouble. I'm telling you, there are some enemies that will get on your last nerve. There are some enemies that don't mind fighting you not only for a day, but for a week or more. There are some enemies that if the truth be told, they will get the upper hand on you. They will get the advantage, the advantage and you will find yourself on the bottom. You will find yourself being punched in the face, figuratively speaking, from an enemy. You will find yourself wondering whether or not the enemy is going to take you out. If you know what I'm talking about, tell somebody I've been there. Oh, you might as well go ahead and tell somebody else I've been there. I felt as if the enemy had the advantage and that the enemy was going to consume me. I felt as if the enemy was going to get the three count. I felt as if I was about to get canned. I felt as if it was over for me. I felt as if there was no way out of my situation. I know you want everybody to think you got everything together and that all is wonderful in your life, but you need to be honest tonight and just admit I have been facing some enemies. I have been facing some enemies. And some of us from a metaphoric standpoint have been facing the enemy of death. There are some enemies that are trying to ruin our life. Some enemies that are trying to cause devastation when it comes to our future plans. There are some enemies that are trying their best 
to end what we are hoping for. There are some enemies that are trying to cause our dreams and our hopes to dissipate in order for us to hold down our head and wonder about our Christ or our God. But look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, no matter what, don't stop fighting your enemy. Oh, and whatever you do, don't give up on your God. No matter how tough it gets, no matter how how bad it may seem, never stop fighting your enemy. Never give up on your God. Oh God, I need somebody to help me preach that tonight. Look at somebody and say, don't you give up on your God. Don't you stop fighting the enemy that's trying to take you out. Don't you stop doing what it takes in order for you to win the battle. Don't you stop doing what it takes in order for you to come out on victory's high, no matter what. Enemies are real. I'm going to say it a little louder. Enemies are real. They are real. There are some enemies you can't see with your natural eye, but you have the testimony that they are real. You know without without question that there are invisible enemies. You also know that there are enemies that you can see with your eyes. You also know that at times your situations, your circumstances are seemingly enemies to you, trying to stop you from reaching your destiny, trying to stop you from from accomplishing your objective, trying to stop you from reaching forth and pressing in order to reach your goal. Oh, but again, you have to be determined. Because like it or not, there are some enemies that God himself allows to come into your life. I said there are some enemies that God himself allows to come into your life. He allowed an enemy to come against Job. He allowed enemies to come against Israel. He allowed an enemy to buffet the apostle Paul. He allowed an enemy to come against the apostle Peter. He allowed enemies to come against other genuine men and women of God and some of these enemies when they come they come with death on their mind desiring to ruin the life of the child of God in 2nd Kings 20 and 1 Hezekiah was facing enemies he was facing an enemy of sickness an enemy of death an enemy in the form of a boil and an enemy in the form of the king of Assyria he was battling he was battling and just looking at Second Kings 20 and the first seven verses, his situation was looking pretty bad. It's just like when some of us look at what we're going through, 
It's as if it's a hopeless case. It's as if there's no way out of what's taking place. And, and it's amazing when, when, when some things are already bad. Before you can lift your head up a little, it gets worse. Hezekiah was battling all of these things. And then, then Isaiah the prophet pays him a visit. And it wasn't a casual visit. Isaiah and, and Hezekiah had a relationship. They were friends. They were kin. They, they were men that believed in Jehovah. They were worshipers of the God of our salvation. They loved God the same way we love God. They, they no doubt attended the same worship services. They no doubt had, had spent many days magnifying God, agreeing in prayer and such. But again, on this particular day, it was not a casual visit. It was not Isaiah stopping by just to say hello to Hezekiah. It was God's business. He was operating in his ministerial office, that being the office of a prophet. Of course, a prophet is someone that foretells and foretells, a person that speaks the mind of God for the present as well as the future. The reason God elects or chooses such a person is stated in the book of Amos the third chapter and the seventh verse where Amos the prophet reveals surely the Lord God will do nothing but he reveal his plans his secret his vision his purposes unto his servants the prophets so Isaiah going to see Hezekiah, no doubt knowing what the Lord had, had given him. And again, because they were close friends, he, he, he probably was troubled in his spirit. May have even had tears streaming down his face. We do not get a vivid picture of his facial expression. But you think about somebody that you know personally that God has embedded in your spirit a word to tell them that's devastating. Not a word of encouragement, not a word of hope, but a word. Again, that's devastating. And so he goes to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, a man of praise. And he says, thus says the Lord, set your house in order. 
where you shall die. You're not going to live. Get everything in order. Get your affairs straight. Your days are about to end. Hezekiah knew Isaiah was not a flunky. Knew he was not a jackleg preacher. Knew he was bona fide. And no doubt the word pierced his heart. It put a hurt in him to the point to where he he did not say a word to his friend. Didn't say a word. Notice the scripture just simply says that, that he turned his face to the wall. One connotation of that is that he actually turned away from the prophet of God. He turned away. People, people say a number of things in reference to why he turned away like that. There are different opinions. Especially when the scripture does not go into detail as to why he did so. In reference to Isaiah that is. But I believe when Isaiah told him that. That he was so hurt to where he didn't want Isaiah to see the expression on his face. Can you imagine somebody you know that is legit telling you that you are about to die? You wouldn't have the words to say to them. It will, tr- it will start to trouble you in your spirit. And so Hezekiah just simply turns away. He turns away. And after he turns away, he then talks to Isaiah's boss. He talks to the one that sent Isaiah to him. And I want you to notice that it just simply states that he he prayed. He prayed to the Lord. But then it also goes in the detail about how he wept bitterly. As well as how he, he, he cried. The tears were, were, were flowing and so forth. When you consider the tears, when you consider him seeking God's face. You have to say without question. Even though he received a hard word. He still had the Lord on his mind. Because you think about it. Some folk, when they hear from the doctor or somebody else that they're going to die, 
Some of them immediately crawl into a hole and just wait on their demise to take place. Especially in our day and time, you, you, you have folks that readily accept death. They accept it and, 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 and they act as if some doctors, and I'm not against doctors, but I got to say this. They act as if some doctors are God. And I'm not just talking about sinners. I'm talking about folk in the church. I, I have known people that, that they said, well, you know, uh, the doctor said it was nothing else that could be done. And, and the doctor recommended that we, we get hospice to come out and, and we get this and that and the other uh, going on so the demise can just be comfortable. How can you be comfortable dying? Say it like it is, so you can be drugged up when you die. But don't play with me and say, I'm going to be comfortable. Because death is not comfortable. Death is an enemy. I just proved it in 1 Corinthians 15 and 26. It's an enemy. It's painful when an enemy is trying to take you out. The only reason the child of God does not go through such devastating pain is because God has promised us eternal life. But even children of God have experienced the pain of going through the process of death. But because of God's mercy, he pulls us out. And so Hezekiah has got a death sentence. And and you know, when I look at the text, I couldn't help but think, looking at what Hezekiah did, that when a person knows that death is inevitable, he or she can do a number of things, good and bad. You you have some folk that say, well, since I'm going to die, I might as well take somebody with me. They decide to do something bad. Or some say, well, since I'm going to die anyway, I might as well go and just live it up. I might as well go and sin until I can't sin no more. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die partying. I'm going to die getting high. I'm going to die drunk. Have you, have you ever thought about if you ever get a sentence of death whether literal or metaphorical what you would do? Let me tell you what some folks have done in the church. 
There are some folks that know that from a metaphoric standpoint that ruin is about to take place, that they are finna lose certain personal possessions and so forth. And you know what they do? They'll get mad at God. And they'll leave his church. You have others that will get so upset over what's taking place until they will go back to serving the devil or allowing demon spirits to control their life. If some folk, when they start to experience ruin, even though it's their own fault, they usually blame God. See how quiet we are? You know I'm telling the truth, right? And so Hezekiah, he could have done these things, but, but notice again what he does. Notice it because he does something that does not only speak about his character, but it, but it is in actuality an example for children of God to follow. Instead of him doing something crazy, he turns his face to the wall and he starts worshiping his God. Was the situation bad? Yeah. But despite how bad it was, he was determined to be a worshiper. Or he was determined to reverence his God with all that he had. And when you consider how he prayed, how he wept, one word comes to mind. He got diligent. Even though his situation was bad. Oh God, look at somebody and tell him, when your situation gets bad, it calls for diligence. Tell at least one more person, when your situation gets bad, it calls for diligence. Oh, it calls for diligence. It calls for diligence. Now the root meaning of diligence is to value highly. Now in reference to the text, uh, it has to do with valuing God in a high manner. It has to do with looking to God as being superior even over situations that are seemingly unavoidable. There are some things that will arise in our life that we cannot control in and of ourselves. But we have to consider the fact that God is omniscient, he's sovereign, and that he's omnipotent. And knowing that we have to turn our attention to him and rely on him to bring us out of our predicament. He began to diligently seek the face of God. He did not 
allow his trouble to get him down. He did not allow his bad situation to cause him to turn his back against God. He got diligent. Oh God, that's a word to the church. That's a word to brothers. That's a word to sisters. That's especially a word to folk that when you get to going through things in times past, you did anything but get diligent. But tonight God is saying to you, no matter how bad your situation is, you need to diligently seek him. Oh, I said you need to diligently seek him. You can't give up. You can't throw in the towel. You can't sit at ease in Zion. You can't get to the point to where you think your situation is hopeless. Because like it or not, that's what most folks do. I said that's what most folks do. I talked to a person recently. That was going through something. In her body. Something devastating. Matter of fact, I talked to two persons that were primarily going through the same thing. I want to share what happened. I talked to one and I said, I haven't seen you in church. I said, I'm wondering what's going on with you. And so they went into a sobbing mode. What I call a pity party. Bear with me for a few minutes. As a pastor, you know, I just really been going through it in my body. And I'm just so weak. I'm so weak, pastor. And I just hadn't been able to do what I really desired to do. Say, I've been missing church, though, and I just really want to come. So you just keep praying for me. I mean, and Pastor, because it's, it's rough, and I know I need to be there. Heard something in the background while I was talking. It sounded like a child. And uh, I said, uh, I'm hearing something in the background. And the sister said, well, oh, that's just my uh, grandchild. I said, is your grandchild all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping my grandchild. And that's just... Now, I could have just said, now how in the world can you keep a child and not worship God? I think most of us know that that a child is active and and if you're going to babysit, you're going to have to be active to a certain extent. 
And, and so when I heard it and, and when she said what she had to say, I, I just immediately said, okay, I'll let you go. But see, the Lord told me her problem is she does not want to give herself wholly to me. She's not diligent. But then I talked to another sister. I said, I I know you've been really going through things, I say, but you are such a testimony. I say, because in spite of what you go through, I see you pressing your way to God's house week in and week out. And I said, I haven't heard you complain or anything, even though I know what you've been going through. She said, Pastor, I have no reason to complain. She said, Pastor, if God decides to take me right now, I have no regret. She said, but I will say this to you, Pastor, as long as God gives me strength to move, I'm going to come to his house to worship. I'm going to worship him no matter what. And I said, why is that? Well, well, Pastor, it's not about you, first of all. Because some preachers just want folk to come to church to hear them. But she said, Pastor, when I come to church, I get strength. I get strength when I come through the house, to the house of God. When I'm around the saints of God, I can feel the anointing. When, when, when the prayer service takes place, I can feel the anointing. When the songs of Zion get to going forth, I can feel his presence. Pastor, and when the word comes forth, it seems as if it's just tailored for me. And Pastor, I just believe if I don't press my way to the house of God, I'll die. If I don't press my way, Pastor, I'll die. The Lord immediately, when that woman told me that, brought brought my attention to the woman with the issue of blood. It was when she got diligent and, and pressed her way to the service of God that she received her deliverance. And I'm telling you, if you value God highly, you will not allow anything or anybody to stop you from getting in his presence. And that's what it was about Hezekiah in the text. He was determined to get Get in the presence of God in order to get his deliverance. No matter how bad your situation is, if you have a diligence embedded in your spirit to get to the house of God or to get in the presence of God, I believe God will do for you what he did for Hezekiah, the woman with the issue of blood, and the sister that I just gave you her testimony. 
sister I just told you about, she recently went to the doctor and the doctor gave her a complete bill of help. Oh, hold on. The same doctor had wondered whether or not she would live another six months. But it was God looking at her diligence and he gave her a miracle. What is it about diligence, pastor? One verse. One verse. Hebrews 11 and 6. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. Even when it's a bad situation, if you have diligence embedded in your spirit and you boldly go through the throne of God asking him for help, asking him for mercy, asking him for grace, asking him to allow some drops of his precious and sacred blood to fall down upon your life, he'll do it. For he said himself, ask and it shall be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock and it shall be opened. He said himself through the Apostle Paul, all of the promises of God in him a yes and amen. And it's a promise that if you ask, you'll receive. It's a promise if you diligently seek him, you'll be rewarded. Oh, how many believe that? Oh, you ought to tell some folks, I believe that. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Oh, I believe it. Oh, tell somebody further, I believe that God will do something for you no matter how bad your situation is. I believe God will open up a door even though folks have closed it in your face. I believe God will do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or that you think. How many believe that? Oh, look at some folks and tell them, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. Tell your neighbor, I believe in the presence of God. That's the reason I seek for his presence. I seek for his face. I seek him. I seek him daily. And the Bible says if you seek him, you'll find him. Folk to tell you they sought but they didn't find God, they were not diligent. There's no way you're going to diligently seek God and not come up with an answer. There's no way you're not going to diligently seek God and God not do something for you. He is not a respecter of person. He'll do it. He'll do it. Oh, God, he'll do it. Will he do it? And so Hezekiah sought. It moved God. There is something about a person diligently seeking God that causes God to give him or her a swift response. It doesn't take long. When a person diligently seeks God, it doesn't take long for God to send them an answer. Isaiah, after delivering the message to Hezekiah, started to make his way probably back home or or somewhere outside of the palace. 
And because there were, there were different courts in the palace. There was a court in the forefront, a court in the middle, and then there was the back court. Seemingly, when you consider the story, Hezekiah's private residence of the place where he slept was in the back of the court. Because the scripture says that when Isaiah left, that God got his attention and at that particular time he was in the middle court. And he actually caused Isaiah to cease in his tracks. Isaiah was headed out. But God was about to give him a change of direction. See, when you move God, God will do something for you. And thank God for men and women of God who know his voice. Isaiah in that middle court. And the Lord says, Isaiah! And let me paraphrase a little. I need you to turn around and go back to Hezekiah. Isaiah, go back and tell him that I done heard his prayer. I heard him. Tell him I also seen his tears. Prayers and, and his tears indicative of him getting God's attention. So basically God was saying to Isaiah, the king done got my attention. Tell him! I'm going to heal him. And it's going to be on the third day. But tell him I need him to go to my house. Even God insisted people attend his church. And tell him that enemy, the king of Assyria, that's been bothering him. Tell him, don't even worry about that. I'm going to handle him myself. I'm going to do it for my servant David's sake. Hezekiah, you're still going to die, but I'm going to give you your appointment, Dave. It's not going to be this week. It's going to be 15 years from now. What you're going through right now, I'm going to bring you out of it. I'm going to bring you out of all that you're going through right now. 
amazingly, he tells Isaiah something to do as if Isaiah was a physician. Tells him to get a lump of figs, make a poultice, and to put it upon the boil. The last thing that is stated in the seventh verse is that the king recovered. It was a bad situation, but he recovered. I I want you to understand this in my closing. The apostle Paul told the church that was having a hard time receiving the word of God and the miracles of God that had taken place uh, in times past. Stories like of Job and, and the different things that God did for the Israelites and so forth. They were having a hard time. And so Paul told them the reason that God gave these particular stories and so forth. He said they were given for our learning and our profit. Our learning and our profit. You learn from stories in the Bible. But you also profit from the stories. If the only thing you do is learn what God did for Hezekiah, you're missing it. There's a lot of folks that that are not even in church that have learned about the story. But what God wants us to do tonight is not just learn, but to profit from what took place. What do you mean, Pastor? See, our God changes not. Malachi 3 and 6 decrees that. But then Hebrews 13 and 8 decrees about our Savior, our Deliverer, our Redeemer. That He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Now the Hebrew writer further stated that we need to look to Him as the author and the finisher of our faith. And I'm saying all that to say to you that if God, our maker, our savior, our redeemer, delivered Hezekiah from a bad situation because of his diligence, will he not do likewise for you? How many believe that? If you do, stand on your feet. And just say to your God, God, I hear you tonight. If you hear me tonight, just say, Lord, I hear you tonight. This situation that I'm facing, I'm coming out of it. You're going to bring me out. How many receive that tonight? I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad it is. You can come out. You don't know what I've been through. It don't matter. You don't even have to sit down and tell me your story. All I need to know is that you believe 
in the power of God and that you're willing to diligently seek him until he releases that power. That's all I need to know is that you're willing to do what is necessary in order to receive that power. I don't need to know your situation. See, there is nothing impossible for God. Thank you for listening to the A Place of Refuge Productive Living Podcast with Bishop Barry D. Walker. Please stop by our website for more information on our church at www.aplaceofrefugechurch.org. Until next time, remember, Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly.